Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. John Vanderput is a magician and comedian from the UK, much better known by his stage name as Piff the Magic Dragon. Piff has performed at the Edinburgh Fringe, toured with Mumford & Sons, fooled Penn & Teller on television, and charmed the United States on America's Got Talent. Piff has held court for the last few years as a headlining act on the Vegas Strip at the Flamingo Las Vegas Hotel and Casino. Variety named him one of the magazine's 10 comics to watch in 2019. And in the summer of 2020, Piff won the inaugural TBS Tournament of Laughs competition. That fall, the Flamingo moved Piff into its even bigger 800-seat theater, although he could only sell 20% of the tickets due to pandemic protocols. Over Zoom, Piff told me about all of the stages magicians have to go through before they even hit the stage, the economic barriers to entry and success for elite magicians, and how the other Vegas headliners made Piff feel welcome when he first arrived in America, plus how he paid them back by including them in his TV gigs. So let's get to it. Hello. Hello, Hello Piff. Good Hello, to see Sean. You. Thanks for thanks for zooming in. Thanks for having me. Hey, listen, my um, my head carpenter at my Las Vegas show, he is called Scene. Everyone calls him Scene, right? Now in the UK, um, the people who work behind the scenes, we are like the you know the people who make the sets. We call them scenographers. I can imagine that that name is shortened down to Scene. So I was like, Hey, Scene, what's your name, by the way? And he's always been like, It's Scene, and I'm like, Yeah, but. You know, what's it? What's your name? And he's like, scene. And I'm like, but seriously, somebody had to take me aside and explain that it was scene spelled S-E-A-N. And I was like, somebody should tell him. Somebody should tell him he's uh, been pronouncing that wrong. Right. He's definitely not Irish American. I wonder what he is. I'm going to ask him today and report back. Hello. Hello, scene. I, I have met one other scene before. Have you? He was a meteorologist in Phoenix, Arizona. And when I asked him why everyone was calling him Scene on the television, he said it's because he had a twin brother named Sean. Oh. So their parents decided to go with Sean and Scene. As is the, is the brother S H A W N or something? Oh, yeah, my, I mean, who who are these parents? I mean, what are they, they think? Oh, this is going to be a good bit. Well, you know, these are the kinds of parents who come to Las Vegas. You know it. Yeah, <laughs> that's your yeah. demographic. They're my they're my customers right now. <laughs> now we've got very very responsible people in Las Vegas, sitting six feet apart and uh, only licking the the uh, the odd slot machines. They leave the even ones alone. <laughs> how are things in Las Vegas on a series? Weird. How are they? Oh, they're so weird. I've been now. I was the first headlining show back open on the Strip. So two days before me, there was a burlesque show, and then. And then two days after, it was me. That was it. I was the first one, and um, and it it's been bananas. I mean, the capacity. It's not the capacity. I I moved. I used to. Um, my show was in the Piftomatic Dragon Theatre for five years, and that's a two hundred seat, very small venue. It's like a it's like a comedy club. Mm-hmm. Everyone crammed together. It was amazing. Just an amazing space to play for all those years. Then, uh, the pandemic hit. And I was like, well, I'm not going back there for a while. But I did wonder, hmm, there's this big 
showroom in the Flamingo, 800 seats. Donnie Marie played it for 11 years. And uh, RuPaul has a show called RuPaul's Drag Race in it right now, which is, uh, which is a great show. If, you, if you're ever in Vegas and you only get to see one show, go and see their show. I'll give you comps. How about that? That's not a big deal. You just ring me up and say, Piff, I could only choose one. No problem, son. I'll sneak you in. Um, so, so, there, so I was like, maybe, just maybe, there is a chance that we will have to move our show because we've always been like a seven or 8 PM show. Mm-hmm. We have to move our show across the room and uh, across the hall and play this much bigger venue. So I started building a show like Noah, you know, I was in my garage just like building this enormous arc in order to uh, transfer it across into the main room. Should they ask? And thank God in October, they said, Hey Piff, um, we want you to come back, but you can't play that small room anymore where we're upgrading you. We're moving you into the main Flamingo showroom. I was like, oh my goodness, that's so much bigger than my previous venue. I can make so much more money now. And they said, no, Piff, you can sell 164 tickets and not a single <laughs> ticket more. And I was like, what? And they were like, that's true to COVID regulations, Piff. So um, so actually when we opened, it was like 220 seats because we put people in the balcony. Mm-hmm. But we very quickly found out you couldn't see all of the magic in the balcony. So we were just charging people $400 to to half see a show and they were furious everything looks like magic from that far away yes everything uh you don't know how anything's done literally because you can't see it (laughs) but you know starting out in the uk as you did was las vegas always the dream goal back then no what was the initial i don't know but here's a true story i dated this girl for many years and date is the wrong word because we used to live together but whatever that word is when you Mm -hmm. we were together for like I don't know, four or five years. And about a year in, her parents did not did not get on with me. And I can see why, for many reasons. <laughs> so anyway, about a year in, I said to her I said to her mother, listen, obviously this is this is we we're gonna be we're gonna be in this for a bit. So let's at least work out a way that we can um be amicable to each other. So you know, if you have something to say to me, if you have something to say about me, you might as well say it to me because I'm just going to hear about it and we're going to play this like telephone game between you know between me and my my girlfriend. So she said to me, I was in a, I was in this like cafe in London. I never forget. She said to me, "Well, the thing is, we think that you're going to get more and more successful. You're going to uh land your own show in Las Vegas." And you're going to leave her and you're going to move her to America and you're going to break her heart. And I just laughed and I laughed and I laughed. And I said, if I can promise you one thing, it's that I will never be a headlining performer in Las Vegas. And since then, I've made a lot more promises. Like if I can promise you one thing, it's that I will never, ever earn $12 million this year and be able to afford uh, my rent. But but so, those people did see the promise in you when you couldn't. I guess so. I mean, yeah, I've I've never seen it, honestly. <laughs> what were you? What what was your gig at that time when they when they could see your future more clearly? That's a good question. So that was, um, I think I'd I think maybe I was like a year into doing a year maybe. Yeah, no, I think I was about a year into doing this Piff the Magic Dragon thing. Because before then, I'd been a regular magician. And by that, for 10 years, magician is, magic is a very weird industry. It wants to be show business, but it's essentially catering. 
you know. It's like <laughs> you, you end up working at weddings and bar mitzvahs and corporate dinners. Right. They book their champagne. They book their magician. A lot of, a lot of magicians sell themselves on compa- by comparing themselves to the food. They're like, well, you know, if you think about the canapes, they're $12 a head. You know, now the magic is only $5 a head. And what do you think they're going to remember more, the canapes or the magician? And I'm like, usually the canapes, because I love canapes. They're delicious. <laughs> so it's a very weird industry to, you know, people have never, they're not even, they don't even come to a show. At least when you're doing an open mic night, people have come to a venue expecting to see a show. Magic, you're interrupting people for a living professionally. That's what you're doing. They're at a nice restaurant trying to escape the world. And you're like, oh, hello. Um, uh, would you like to see, you know, have you seen the magician yet? Ta-da, it's me. That was my opening line. Right, you show up in between the appetizers and the main oh, course and yeah. close-up cards. Yeah, it's just the worst. It is the worst. And, and I did it for 10 years, hating it, because I thought that was what you should do if you wanted to earn money, as a, if you, you know, if you wanted to like earn your living as, a, as an artist, quote-unquote, uh, and, and and one night I actually worked behind the bar. It was so much more difficult. <laughs> that's that's but that's one of the things that they never mention on a show like America's Got Talent. Right. When you get to America's Got Talent, you and the other magicians who have been on the show, magicians traditionally do really well on America's Got Talent. They do, yeah, yeah. But but they never mention that there's all those years before you get to the theater stage right. where you're doing close up magic at restaurant tables or you're doing cruise ships or you're doing well i think for magicians there's all these stages before you even get to a stage and those stages are the restaurants and the bars and the corporate dinners because the other thing is they pay good money you know it's very difficult to wean yourself off that money i had to Mm -hmm. literally just stop fortunately for me it kind of worked out because i was fired everywhere i went because i have this sort of like if i'm if i have a neutral face i'll do my neutral face for you right now Mm mm-hmm I just look furious. That's me. Just so for the listener, I just didn't have an expression, and I look furious. I look ridiculous. I've got resting bitch face. Like even even in the heritage. even in the even in the piff costume. Well, this is the thing. So before, without the piff costume, mm-hmm. and and for the listener, I'm wearing my my natural dragon skin uh, by request. I did actually uh, write to Sean today and said, "Hey, do you want me in costume or not?" And Sean was like, yeah, I mean, this is audio only, but I'll, I'll keep it for my private records. Um, Thank you for that. Thank you. No, you're welcome. You will take as many pictures as you need. Uh, but so so I was I was in a regular suit and I was just getting fired everywhere I went, because first of all, I had resting bitch face. Secondly, I was always like making jokes. And my my I grew up loving shows like Blackadder, uh Forty Towers, all these like really dry, sarcastic British comedians, and I love them. So I would, I would just roast people. And it's when you're in a comedy club and there are 100, 200 people there, you know, you do a joke, 50 people laugh, that's enough. If you know, 30 people laugh is, is, I mean, you can get by with that. You do that at a table of four, and one in four, two in four people laughs. That's very awkward. <laughs> you know, I, I went up to this restaurant and said, I went up to this table and said, uh, hello, I'm the magician. You want to see some card tricks? This guy, it was a tiny Italian restaurant, 50 people total. This guy slid his chair back across the tile. He stood up and he said, my wife has just asked me for a divorce. Do you really think I want to see some fucking magic? And I said, well, I guess she just made your house disappear. So I guess not. 
and uh, that's not the, that's not what you want. You know, I had to leave. I had to leave immediately. I got thrown out by the manager. That's great improv, though. Oh yeah, it's great improv. That's great if improv. There is a, if there is a if there is an audience there willing to receive it. If there isn't, it's just terrible life choices. <laughs> that's the difference between an improviser off stage and an improviser on stage. It's you the, know, stage, always, the stage is rewarding the bad behavior. Right. I used to feel like, and I used to do this, I used to feel like when I went to work as a magician, it was like my life was a sitcom and I was doing these lines and sort of turning to the camera that wasn't there and waiting for the audience of, of life to, uh, to, you know, spontaneously applaud. And in the end, I was like, no, I'm just getting fired from gigs. That's what's happening. <laughs> it's interesting to know, though, that you had the demeanor before you had the costume. Well, that's what made it all make sense. And, um, and, and what happened was I went, to a, I went to a costume party and I said to my sister, I don't have anything to wear. And she said, oh, I got a dragon outfit under my bed. And I said, oh, great. I'll wear that. And I asked no further questions because it was my sister, Sean. You understand? My sister. So I go to this uh, costume party in a dragon outfit. And it was a Christmas party. So I had like a red nose and I was a rain dragon. So my friends come up to me. They're like, what are you, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean, what am I doing? And they were like, well, the costume part of the thing got cancelled, so we, we all, nobody's in costume tonight. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Every, nobody turned up. It was me. It was me. Even the host changed. I was like, you can't, I just walked across London like this. I crossed the city in a stupid rain dragon outfit. I've got nothing else to wear. So I was just like drinking red wine in the corner, looking fury, looking like, like actually like, a, like I earned that bitch face for once. Mm-hmm. And um, my friend came up to me. She said, hey, you should do this in your act. You could be, you could be Puff the Magic Dragon. I said, wait, I could be Piff the Magic Dragon. You might have heard of my older brother, Steve. And I was like, oh, that's not a bad line. And I was like, I wonder whether that line would uh, sustain a 12-year career, ending up in a Las Vegas magic show, a headline in the Flamingo Hotel and Casino. I thought, let's give it a shot. No, I, did. no, I thought, that's <laughs> funny. I should try that. And I didn't for six months. <laughs> but eventually I got desperate because I, I mean, I literally got, f- I was out of work by this mm-hmm. point. I mean, it's fired from everywhere. So I just, I put on, you know, went to an open mic night, put on the outfit, said that first line. And it was like a light bulb came on. I was like, oh, now, now this stupid face is socially acceptable. <laughs> Before I was just a dickhead. Now I'm a dickhead in a dragon outfit. That is hilarious. Just dropped all my other work and did this. That was it. It, I think it makes it, well, I don't want to speak for you, but, but from the outside perspective, it makes it all seem that much more worthwhile that it all came together organically. It yes. wasn't like you sat down and were like, all right, what do I need to do to, to develop my career and get better gigs? It was more happenstance. Yeah, I mean, I have sat down and done, tried those five-year plans, but they just, I mean, how do you predict life? And... um the only frustrating thing I find is that is that there are some things that I've done over the years that I go, wow, that was really clever. For example, getting a chihuahua, um, eating a banana on television. I go, wow, that really, that did really well. Unfortunately, every single one of those was just pure fluke and nothing <laughs> but an accident. Nothing, nothing. But there was no, there was absolutely no, hey, I know what I should do. It was just like, I'm really hungry. I haven't eaten and I, and I need something to do while Penn and Teller judge me. Or 
I had a, the girl who was running the venue in my first Edinburgh year. She had a chihuahua. I put it on stage because my publicist told me to. It was really funny. The next day I rescued a chihuahua thinking, it was, and then I immediately thought it was a terrible idea. But over the years, he just became this part of the show. So imagine, Sean, if I could actually plan this stuff <laughs> instead of just falling into it like a, like a, like a manhole. Although, although having a chihuahua in the act does require added patience because you're not entirely in control. Well, yes, it adds, it does add some problems, but here is the, here is the things that it, um, that it helps with. First of all, I spent years touring by myself years, you know, just, I mean, like all comedians do and having a small dog that you have to take care of means I also have to take care of myself. I have to get up. I have to walk him. I have to feed him. Uh, and he's like, you know, I grew up with cats and as every comedian will tell you over the course of comedy, they're dicks. Uh, <laughs> they're not whereas, dogs. They're not dogs. They're not they're dogs. Cats. Whereas anytime I came, anytime that dog sees me, even if it's for five minutes, his tail's wagging. He's just like, oh my God, you came back. I just can't believe you came back. Oh my God. I just thought, I thought this was it for me. I th- and then, you know, I like leave the room to like make a cup of tea and come back in. He's like, oh my God, I just can't believe you came back. I thought this was it. Oh my God. So being around that much unconditional love was very healthy for me uh, during, during the first period of my act. Um, <laughs> when it was, when it was, you know, I mean, I remember going to see a, I remember going to do a gig at the beginning when it was kind of very rough. And uh, this agent who booked me previously for like six weeks he turned up and he saw the gig and he just went, oh, so, so this is what you're doing now. And I was like, oh, <laughs> when the agent says that, that's, yeah, that's not good. It was rough for two years, but you know, all things are. And, and fortunately I had the bed of like, you know, the material from doing um, the close up stuff for those years. And the, I had like material and a bit of stage craft to, um, to have a bit of a shortcut into it. You well, know, after it, about two years, it was pretty. It was going quite well. Right, and making a name of yourself in in Edinburgh takes a lot of a lot of skill and a lot of determination because there's so many acts competing for everyone's attention at the fringe. Yeah, it, yeah. I think. I mean, I you know, this is the one thing I try and work really hard on, and and by no means am I anywhere near where I want to be with it. But I do think that any success I've had has been because underneath the stupid outfit underneath all the gimmicks you know it's just gimmick on gimmick on gimmick on gimmick it's like stupid dragon outfit magic tricks dog you know under underneath all of that there is like writing and there is um there's material and the and the magic tricks are original and they and they're impressive so that's the one thing i've tried to 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 really focus on over the years with 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 uh more success um uh, sometimes than others. There have definitely been years when when that has not been the case. <laughs> when did, I've gone out with material and just be like, wah, wah. Did it ever get to a point where you considered ditching Pith for something else, whether it was going back to a, a straight magic act or doing straight comedy or I know you did some, you've done some acting as well. Right. So did you, was there ever a point where you were second guessing Pith and thinking no. maybe I should do something else? No, here's the weird thing. I've, um, you know, I spent years working on this, like, this is embarrassing, but it was like, it was like a contemporary 
dance crossed with magic performance art based theater piece mm-hmm. and I, I had a theater company you know for like three or four years or something with me and like about three other three or four other people and i spent years working every time i watched it on a video every time i watched it back i'd be like no that's not what i wanted to look want it to look like that's wrong with piff not every time but a couple of times two or three times like when i did the pen and teller thing um a couple of things i did in america's got talent i was like oh actually that's not bad that's like almost what I wanted it to look like. And that's really been the only experience of that I've had in my life. That, you know, being honest, like that doing Piff has been the only time I've been like, oh, that's that's not bad. That doesn't make me want to jump off a bridge today. Um, well, you where, need that. Everybody needs did, that did. in their life. Yeah, exactly. Um, how, how, how many years did you think about doing America's Got Talent before you actually did it? Zero. Okay. So uh, what happened? I just got desperate, and um, weren't you already in Vegas though at the time? Yes. So this is what happened. So I so I I did this show Penitella Fallus in the UK. Mm-hmm. I got a big break from that. It went viral on YouTube. I started touring all over America. Sorry, all over England and all over Australia with that because Australia's got a big uh, festival scene. So you right. can transfer your show from Edinburgh to there, and it was going pretty well. And during that time, somebody came to see the show and they said, hey, we're doing a show in Vegas. We want you to be a part of it. You know, do like 10 minutes in it. And I was like, what? This is like, and I just had, you know, the words of my, my girlfriend's mother were haunting me. And I was like, oh God, they're going to be right. And this is going to be embarrassing. And I was just like, there's no way it's going to work out. So anyway, I, I connected them to my agent, mm-hmm. thought no more about it. My agent ran me up there. She was like, no, they're serious. So I spent like a year working out whether I wanted to do it. And obviously I had friends in Vegas from Pan and Teller. Pan and Teller have been like mentors and friends. And it's just, they've just been unbelievable to me over the years. And also other magicians like Matt King, um, Chris Kenner, who's David Copperfield's manager, a bunch of other ones, plus, plus a few comedian friends. And I started saying to them, you know, what's it like? What's it like to live here? And they said, it's not bad actually. Like, it's uh, it's very like, f- the magic's very different to comedy. I always think, oh, you know, they're kind of the same. It's like I should be seen as a comedian as much as a magician. It's like I, I don't think that's true. I think like, I'm now I just say I'm a I'm a magic dragon, because right. when people say Are you a comedian or a magician, I say no, I'm a genuine magic dragon, because um, there. You know, I have sections of just stand-up in my act where I'll go and tell jokes for five minutes. But when it comes to doing magic, if you want to try magic, basically, if you want to try original magic that comes from an idea that you thought of in your head, well, that you have to make that to even make it possible. You know, for example, we got a trick right now, um, which has taken about two years to come up with to work out. Somebody's Apple Watch ends up inside a 10-pound jello and uh, inside the jello, there is a jar of peanut butter, and inside the peanut butter is the watch. So it's like the office, you know, prank with the stapler in the jello. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's been about two and a half years, and probably $50,000, probably at least. So, so before <laughs> you can even get it on stage to find out whether the idea has got legs, mm-hmm. you've got you to invest. So imagine 
you think of a joke in the morning. You spend $1,000, you take it to the club, and you do a joke, and it bombs. Yeah, all right. So you go back home, you work on it. I think, I think to level the playing field between magicians and comedians, every open mic spot should have a $1,000 entry fee. And then we'll see how funny these comedians can get. Because I can work up comedy in three months, no problem. Right. You know, like, no problem. I can turn something into a great bit with applause breaks over, th- over three, three months, you know. And then it, it has like a, that weird six months window and then it starts dying, on a, like, which is always the weird thing about comedy. Magic, on the other hand, forget it. Magic, it takes me two years to get anything good. But the advantage is it does seem to, um, it does seem to sort of li- uh, be a bit more evergreen. Right. Does that, does that mean that magic in and of itself and I don't mean the Derek Del Guadio yeah, show right. in and of itself. Um, although that was that was interesting on its own merits. But does that mean that magic in and of itself is restricted to people who have the money to get into yes. the field? Uh, I I I think it is. I think that now that doesn't mean you have to have the money to start because I didn't. I was because right, like, you just need cards. Cards don't cost right. a lot of money for that, but if you right. want big now what I Now what, right, now what we do in the show would be absolutely impossible without two things. And this is what I was saying about Vegas. It would be impossible without the money, uh, which we have because we're doing a Vegas show and we just put the money straight back in, back in, back in, all, all, all the time back in. Um, but it would also be impossible without the reps. So I'm in the same venue performing the same thing um, at the same time every every night. And that's what, convinced me in the end to move to vegas because there's nowhere else in the world that you can get the reps so that you can get out and tour and tour with the finished material or that you can perform specials you know if you look at penn and teller or copperfield these guys work in their material in vegas and and it does not start you know does not start the way it ends it's the same as comedy except unfortunately we have to do our open mic nights uh, in a theater uh, with a full paying audience it's brutal <laughs> So Vegas gave me the opportunity to do that. So I moved mm-hmm. here. Um, I signed a 10-year contract. I had to do three years of it, and then I could, if I wanted to, find someone else to take over from me. And um, I loved it. I was just like, oh, my God, this is – I love – first of all, the weather. I mean, God, it's like I'm a, I'm a cold-blooded reptile. I live <laughs> in the desert. That's what we're talking about. Sunbathe every day, son. Um <laughs> And then, and then the people, you know, I, I met some great friends out here and, and it is like the Mecca of magic out here. It's like, you know, it's like New York or LA if you're a comedian. Um, and, and then the show closed. The show I was in just, it just bombed and closed after six months. But I'd made enough contacts that I was like, boy, I want to stay here. I want to see if I can get my own show. And so for about a year, just over a year, I relentlessly pursued the idea of having my own show. I applied to last comic standing. Didn't, didn't even, uh, didn't even get in the door, but America's got talent. Right. I went to this audition. They loved it. I was like, great. And then I got cold feet and, um, and was like, Oh, this isn't for me. And one of the producers rang me up and was like, seriously, this is, you know, we really want you to do this. And they, they sort of badgered and badgered and badgered me and in the end i was like look i have to do a gig in london i can fly and i can stop off in new york and they said great if you don't like how it goes we'll just burn the footage and they over the years i mean obviously like it's been five six years now they've been so great to me those producers 
And, um, and at the time I was like, no, they're not going to burn the footage. And now I realize that actually they were, they were just being absolutely straight with me. Um, and so I had nothing to lose. I tried it. I went out there. I had two hours sleep. I was jet, you know, I was like exhausted. I didn't want to be there. Uh, Nick Cannon's like, what is going on? And I'm like, who's Nick Cannon? I don't watch any TV. I don't know what's happening, but I did know Howard Stern. Right. And I knew, and I knew Harry Mendel and obviously I'd heard of Heidi Klum and Mel B was from England. So I sort of knew who these people were and I didn't just didn't care. And I was just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do whatever I want and see what happens. And it turned out great. Yeah. I mean, for someone who didn't win, it really seems like you won. Well that, yeah, that was me being stupid. I mean, not saying that I would have won, clearly, mm-hmm. but what I'm saying is I, one of my bright... So this is, this is what I mean when I say, if I could plan the genius <laughs> moments that I have, but instead this, the, instead, this is a thing that I plan. I thought, I was in Vegas, and I was like, right, I want, I want, this, I want this Vegas magic show. And there were all these billboards. There were like Terry Fater, who won America's Got Talent, had this billboard. Terry Fater, the winner of America's Got Talent. And I was like, Wow. Wouldn't it be funny to have Piff the Magic Dragon, the loser of America's Got Talent? So I decided to go on America's Got Talent, get all the way to the finals, and then shoot my dog out of a cannon and go down in flames. And everyone was like, this is a terrible idea. You should try and win. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to do this. So I did it. And, um, and I did land my own Vegas show. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize was that all the people who had voted for me, who'd spent their you know, their hard-earned time and money voted for me, they would be furious that I would shoot a dog out of a cannon. So there was definitely a little right. bit of uh, rehabilitation in my, <laughs> in, my, in my act to do from there. Well, uh, you know, you mentioned putting in the... But you, you have put in the work. And like you mentioned, it reminds me, the other televised competition you were in, Tournament of Laughs, which oh was... The, which was well, glad, yeah, let's talk which, about it. <laughs> which, which was its own unique, weird weird show um so tournament of laughs was this pandemic special programming from tbs where they decided they would bring live comedy to network cable television but have people just shoot their own footage from their homes which which most most everybody did except for you you were the you were the one person who like you really brought all of the other vegas headliners literally into the act and like did these big productions <laughs> well okay so first of all there are two things first of all i i didn't really i didn't really listen to what the show was so <laughs> i understood it i understood oh. that we had to make videos that was right. the idea right yeah right we had to just that was a brief just make a video yeah comedians make, thing is, produce the content <laughs> right any way you see fit second thing is i love making videos i really love it so um i was like well, let's just take all the money they give me and mm-hmm. spend it all on videos because then I get great videos. You know, I'm always like, I always love having like making things that last a long time, right? So I, w- I was like, well, I'd like to have like a nice, there were two, you had, to, you had to shoot two videos straight away. And I was like, well, I have these two ideas and I, and I, and I think they would make good videos, especially as like when you're pitching TV shows, it's good to have videos to back them up. Right. So I was like, I'll just spend all the money on videos. So <laughs> we, shot, we shot this video. And then why did we do this? But for some reason, 
I had the bright idea to um, see if David Copperfield would be in a video. Oh, that's it. Because I thought, wouldn't it be funny to vanish the Eiffel Tower uh, like he vanished the Statue mm-hmm. of Liberty? And he said yes. And I don't even remember why he said yes. And I was just like, what? Just suddenly I had David Copperfield in a video. Right. For TBS. For TBS. For this show that I didn't really know what I was doing. And then we were up against Judah Friedlander, who's one of my favorite comics. Um, right, but he was just shooting like a selfie in his apartment. Right, but have you seen his Netflix special? Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Oh my God, it's so great. Yeah, yeah. It's so great. And I was just like, well, so he's gonna, he's just gonna crush me out of the game. So I don't need to worry about this. I'll shoot one for the show, mm-hmm. you know, this fancy one with like me at home. It'll look, it'll look nice. And then they'll never see the David Copperfield one. I can keep that for myself. And then somehow, you know, well, I know how because Judah's like, I'm not gonna get involved in a TV talent show. Right. And I was like, I'm gonna get involved in a TV <laughs> talent show. I'm good at that. Uh, so. So anyway, we went to the next round. And then so we showed this David Copfield thing. And then we were sort of like in this trap of going, well, I guess they should all just look this good. <laughs> right. And so we just started spending all the money on these videos and it got ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it got ridiculous. Like we did a we did a full movie trailer for the round four, which uh, and then by the round five, we were we were like way over budget. I was spending my own money, like setting myself on fire but in then, a, what, but then a, what was it like watching then watching it on television and seeing that you were doing these high glossy slickly produced videos and then everybody else was doing things in their backyard well one of the rules i have is 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 don't look mm-hmm. don't look around okay you know don't look down don't look around so i was like hey what do i want to do and i was like i want to spend all the money on videos and i want to make i just want to make great videos and so I went, yeah, I've made like five, vid- five or six videos. I mean, we overshot, so we had like extra videos. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I've made some things that I really like. That's all. I've done my job. But then you can um, keep those for yourself or even include them in your Vegas act now if you wanted to. Yeah, we opened the show with that weird, weird movie trailer thing. Um, and then, uh, but, it, but it, you know... We, it's kind of turned out crazy because we had David Copperfield in one, Penn Jillette was a cowboy in another, Lance Burton, um, it was his like the it was the last thing he's done on TV, and now he's retired from everything. So like it's the last te- television appearance of Lance Burton, and he introduces this thing like it's one of his TV specials. I mean it's hilarious. So uh, so I had a really good time, and then I mean like the last thing I expected was to win the thing. Um, I just wanted to keep getting to like on America's Got Talent. I just wanted to get through to the next round to, in order to make the next video. Right. Um, so by the time I got through to the end, I had this idea for a video. Uh, and I assumed that Jim, Jim Norton has these insane fans. Right. Because like, he's on Nash, he's on syndicated radio. For any right. Years. So, right. So they're, uh, they're just rabid. And I just assumed that, you know, the last round they would vote for him to win. And then the last round was judged by the, by comedians and the TV people. So uh, I ended up somehow somehow triumphing. Um, and all these people, by the way, they're all my, like, heroes. It's like Jeff Ross, Natasha mm-hmm. Lajaro, Triumph, you know, Triumph roasted me. You know, uh, you know how happy I was that Triumph, I mean, it was just incredible. <laughs> so, and then I won. It was like, oh, this is embarrassing. This is, 
this oh this is awkward right uh, so the billboard say yeah right i have to tear down the billboard yeah <laughs> but um you know i mean i just sort of i just did what i wanted to do and and it turned out that way so but it probably doing? also like in some way probably helped lift the spirits of those other vegas acts because oh, last yeah. year you were all out of work which is such a rare thing for all of you who work in vegas you used to doing two shows a night for six nights i mean that's the th- that's the thing it's like i have look i'll be the first to say i'm not changing the world with uh you know, hilarious contemporary political magic dragon material. You know, I do a show where I want people to come in, laugh as hard as they can, and go out happier. That's my aim for the show. You know, I'm not, I'm not there to change an opinion. I'm not there to set the world to rights, nothing like that. And so when we did these videos, it was with the same attitude. You know, it was like, hey, let's see whether we can do something that's really fun. And we were all miserable. We were all so miserable because we thought, in Vegas, that this was going to last like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And, um, you know, months later, we were, we were, we were just, yeah, it was, it was pretty dark. So it was great giving everyone who, you know, who's like works for me or, and, and Penn you know, Penn and Copperfield and all these people sort of gave us a reason to, to, um, to get out of the house and do something for, for a change. So it was really, it was, it was kind of very, um, very healing from that point of view. But obviously you're trying to not catch COVID the whole time, which is a nightmare. Right. Could be anywhere. Could be right here now. Now I know, you know, all of the headlining resort casino entertainers live in Vegas, but it's not like you have any sort of clubhouse where you all get together and hang out. Although you might've had the chance. It's not like we have time. That's the other thing. Yeah, but you have the time, especially the, over the last year. Who who has been like the most surprising person that you've become friends with in your time in Las Vegas? I tell you who I love to pieces is uh, Brad Garrett. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. First, He's of got all, a comedy club there, yeah. Yeah, first of all, just one of the funniest. I mean, like, just one of the funniest. I'm in pain when I watch him. <laughs> it's just so great. But yeah, he came to see me when I first moved to Vegas. He saw me and um, he really liked what I did. And, and he's just been a support to me over the years. And he's been there in, in the real, you know, in, in the times when it was really tough. I was out of work for like a year, over a year, well over a year before I did America's Got Talent. And since then, you know, there have been ups and downs. There always is. It's like there are times when you, you know, the you're hotter than you are and um ticket sales are higher or ticket sales are, or whatever it is and he's been he's he's been really great to me over the years i mean honestly in vegas everybody has there there really hasn't been uh many negative experiences at all um and also uh carrot top scott has been has yeah. been a really good friend i mean he's 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 great as well i would imagine you and scott would have a lot to talk about with yeah, spending, right. spending money on on bits that may or may not work yeah right i wrote him a joke once yeah? Which you put yeah which i've got a joke in the show so um no he he's great i i, I love scott and, and he's just, you know I, i'm not kidding like now even even during the pandemic by the way what happened was about um about two or three weeks before everything shut down like i say i was like oh i think i think this is going to shut down and i think we're gonna have to move showrooms but also i was like 
also, we're not going to be able to do shows for a while, so let's build a TV studio in the house. And right now, I'm sitting in the office part of it, mm-hmm. which is um, which is like where I do podcasts from. And then I, I ripped out my garage, and I built a whole studio in there. And we we were doing these like streaming virtual shows for like two months. We did we did two hour shows, two one hour shows every day for two months, and learned how to use all the equipment. Mm-hmm. And then we did virtual shows for like six months. Oh, wow. And um, so it's been like, I mean, I've done 18-hour days since March. So it's since March last year. So it's it's been a little brutal. And how were you able to monetize that? Or was that not a concern? We probably, it was never, uh, I mean, unfortunately for me, uh, the monetizing of things is never a concern. <laughs> which, which. Right, it's, it it, that be. would be part of planning. That would be yes, planning. Yes, yes, sh- it really should be. But, you know, we broke even on it. We're just, you know, selling tickets to the public, touring through theaters, doing doing corporates and privates. Um, it did it did okay, it broke even. So right. that's all you can hope for. I think. True, and uh, you know, since I'm talking to a magic dragon who works and lives in Las Vegas, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you one question about the amazing Jonathan. Have oh you, yeah. Have you had a chance to interact with him recently or at all? Not recently, but when I first came, he was. Uh, uh he was he was um a great support you know when i i mean honestly i just got nothing but there there's like there's a couple of things that, you know there's a couple of like <laughs> people out there who weren't very helpful but but uh why are we going to why are we going to give them the headspace no. so um no jonathan's been been great and 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 i grew up wat- watching a loving jonathan as well so it's just a very weird um it's it's a strange thing to just come to the place where all your heroes are and suddenly be having dinner and uh, be getting advice from them and and um and uh you know i i i mean i i i just cannot believe that my ex's mother was right i just can't believe it <laughs> give her some credit give her some yeah. credit well uh piff uh thank you so much for your time and i look forward to seeing you in the big room at the flamingo yeah it's, it's if I could be one of those finally... 164. Right. Yeah, it's very slowly opening opening. Um and you know, we were sold out in a small room for two years, so it, we did have to we did have to move. But it's been great because we can now do the tricks that we've always wanted to do. So the show is completely different and um and much more spectacular. But if you don't get a chance to see Piff, go see RuPaul's drag race. Yes. I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be there nightly. It's a great show. Piff, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Scene. <laughs> this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.